Uh, if you're ready to study the scripture, get your Bible out and a pad of paper or a journal, something to write notes on. I think it's so important to get your get your your mind working and being able to uh, write and listen at the same time is really an important part of retention. So get something out to write with. I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 and uh, Matthew chapter 6. So you go to Luke 12, and that's where we're going to start, and then you can kind of put your finger there and then turn over to Matthew 6, and we'll, we'll read those in just a few moments. This week has been quite a spectacular week for me, quite exciting. Uh, last Sunday night, I was at Square One, which, by the way, if you're looking for how to connect around here at One Chapel, Maybe you're new, you want to kick the tires of what we believe or what, what, what kind of church this is. Come to Square One. <clears throat> Excuse me. You come to Square One, Sunday nights, 530, uh, and you can hear all about what's going on. I'll be there. I'm sharing about the church tonight. Actually, is relationship. You can read that in your, in your announcement sheet. But I was at Square One last Sunday night, and, um, <laughs> and I was finished with everything, and people were cleaning up uh, the... The, the family room uh, that we were uh, having this meeting in, and um, I, was, I was just sitting, standing there talking to, I was, think I was talking to Bobby and Annette, um, and they were just standing there and kind of quizzing me about stuff, and right here to my, to my right, like, um, I had a podium just like this, only it was, um, only it was really sharp on the edges. It's, it actually looks exactly like that, but it's got a different top, and it has like formica, um, that's, that's on it, and so it's really sharp edges, and I, it was just out of my view, and as I was, um, as I was just talking there, somebody had started to lean chairs on it, because they were packing them up the chairs, you know, the folding chairs, and they were just leaning them on it for a few moments while they got other chairs ready, and so I was sitting there, standing there talking, and all of a sudden, this thing just, the weight became too much, and it came smashing down on my toe, and broke my toe in half, just boom, sliced it right in half. The bones totally busted. I had to go get x-rays. My Everything kind of exploded in my foot. Just blood was everywhere. It was really nasty. And um, it was it was awesome. I've, I've never, I've never had, I've, I've never broken a bone. It's my first broken bone in my entire life. And it, and it took till I was 45 years old. Yeah, thanks. It was quite painful. The good news is I didn't cuss. And so, I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I have this little saying that I like to say, and it's, um, situations don't make you or break you. They simply expose you for what you really are. And so, that was good news for me. I, okay, anyway. So, so anyway, I, I hobbled into the, into the hallway, and then we had to, it was drama everywhere, and everybody looked at me, and it was, I was the center of attention for a while. And then I was, I was really laid up this week. It's been a crazy week, because uh, the next day, my computer um, hard drive crashed. It just busted. It just went boom. So if you, if you sent an email to me, and you haven't received one, it's not just that I'm incredibly horrible at emails. It's also that my hard drive crashed. And so then, uh, later this week, I was uh, going to the pool with my kids and jumped in to the water with my phone, my iPhone in my pocket, and swam around for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. I was swimming around, having a great time. All of a sudden, I'm like, what is that? And then, oh. So my, I just had a doozy this week. Have you ever had a week like that? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. So uh, what I'm so grateful for is that, um, that every week is not like that, and that even when you're having a week like that, that God kind of can speak to you in the middle of it. 
And uh, so some of you know that we're going to start a series today called um, NUMA, Unlocking the Mystery of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do this series um, uh, we're going to spend several weeks on it uh, here this summer. It's going to be really fun. If you're if you're afraid of the Holy Spirit, if you're um, freaked out by Holy Spirit stuff, or you don't even know what the Holy Spirit is, or uh, if you love the Holy Spirit, this is going to be a great series. We're going to take a holistic view of who He is as a third person of the Trinity. It's going to be awesome. So, I was I was I was preparing for that this week, but as I was sitting on the couch for a large majority of the week, of the first of the week, with my leg elevated, um, trying to deal with my, my foot. Um, I, I, was, I was aware as I was doing that and doing some work and things like that, I saw on the television some really crazy stuff going on in our culture. Our culture is messed up. And all you have to do is watch TV to know it. So today we're going we're gonna to push off. I just want to talk about something that's happening in our culture right now because I want to address it and I want to talk about it and how, what our response as a church should be. So, um, so I'm going to push off the series for the Holy Spirit till next week. We'll start next week, okay? Is that all right with everybody? What I want to talk to you about today is I want to talk to you about living like there are no secrets. Living like there are no secrets. Now, I was, uh, I was aware this week of this congressman, uh, Congressman Anthony Weiner. Are you familiar with this guy from New York? Yes, that is his last name. It's an unfortunate last name. Especially considering that he took inappropriate pictures of himself and sent them to several women. So if you're not aware of this, um, God bless you. Don't, 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 don't read about it. It's It's awful. But, it, but it's, it was plastered all over the news last week because it's been two weeks that this dialogue's been going on about this congressman and what he's going to do and what's going on in his life because the question that's being asked on every cable news network show is, okay, does this matter? Does it, is it even important? Why are people upset about this? Does it matter that a politician has issues in his life or does something that's this, I think the quote was, icky, <laughs> on one show that I was watching, this crude and lewd behavior. And if you don't know what this is really about, it's called sexting. Sexting. If, you're, if you've never heard, you don't know what that's about, ask any seventh grader. They know exactly what it is. I know, it's, it's really sad. Every, middle school people know what, it, what it's all about. And it's, um, it is a part of our culture. But the discussion, the discussion that was going on this week on all these major newscasts was... Is it, does it matter if he fails privately? Does that affect how he does his job of representing people? If he fails in his marriage, what does that matter? Um, do you think, one of the questions was, do you think it's that he failed in this way that caused people to want him to resign? Or do you think that it's the lying to the media? Because what happened was he denied it. He adamantly denied it for a week. He said, that wasn't me. Somebody hacked my Twitter account. Somebody totally took over. And, and when everybody says that, you'd be suspect. Um, there's the, it does happen. But he ran right to it and then publicly just continues to say this over and over again. And then finally it comes out little by little by little that this is the case that he's guilty in a tearful press conference a week and a half later. He's married. His wife is pregnant. She's uh, on a diplomatic team overseas. It was just really sad. It was sad to watch this guy kind of have a public meltdown. 
But I think the questions are valid. Does it matter what we do in public versus what we do in private? And, um, and there's, a, there's a question for all of us. Most of you are aware of people in our society who are leaders who fail in a situation like that. It happens in the church. It happens in uh, sports. It happens in politics. It happens everywhere. It happens, in this, it's, it happens in this community of people that you know. People wrestling and struggling and failing privately. Um, here's, here's, what I've come, here's what I concluded this week while my foot was propped up on the couch and I was was- watching this sad affair. <laughs> Ready? I want you to take, write this down. This is, a, this is a really important phrase here. I want you to get this. This is my conclusion. Sin makes you stupid. Sin makes you more stupid. Here's what I couldn't figure out. I was watching this guy, brilliant guy. I was thinking about all the brilliant people that I know, super smart, intellectual. They can fix problems. They can work on the ills of society. They can have dialogue. Their communication skills are off the charts. They're impressive people, impressive leaders. What is it that makes them so stupid to think that they can't get caught? What happens in a person's brain because they're, they're so brilliant, they're so obviously smart, but then to say my Twitter account got hacked and think that everybody's going to believe it and just leave it alone. It doesn't make any sense. And what I started thinking about is the fact that we all tend to do this. When sin enters our lives and when we're wrestling with something, we try to contain it. We try to contain our sinfulness in an area of our life. We try to keep it uh, locked up from the rest of our lives. We try to keep it hidden. Somehow, we believe that we can keep sin locked up inside of a secret compartment within our lives, keep it separated from everything else. Nobody has to see it. Nobody has to know that this is happening, and so we keep it locked up. You can see it all across our culture, and you probably know other people, marriages, divorces that have happened, um, issues in people's lives. It is the real thing. The devil is bad, and he is out to get you. There's no doubt about it. Your own life of sin. Here's the thing. Sin will make you more and more stupid. The more you engage in it, the stupid, the stupider, <laughs> the more stupid you will become. The more crazy you will become. Some people, they wrestle with sin in their life and they have something that I like to call internal conflict because it's causing such angst in their life. They're full of anxiety or they're full of bitterness or there's something wrong. They come to me for help and one of the first questions I ask is, so how's your private life? What's going on? What's going on in private? If I see angst and wrestling and many, many times there's there's something going on that they've never told someone or they're wrestling with something that's never been out in the open. And I want to teach you what I think the Bible says about how we should deal with this. About how we should keep this from happening. Um, Let's look, look at Luke 12, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another... Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, now, so you see the picture? There's tons of people around, and Jesus begins to teach the masses. He's teaching his disciples. He says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. 
The yeast of the Pharisees. Now look up at me for a second. The yeast of the Pharisees. You know what yeast is? Yeast is an ingredient that my mom used to put in bread. And when she'd make bread, make, actually making cinnamon rolls, it's my great memory of making cinnamon rolls and kneading the dough and pushing it out and scooping it up and putting it together and then putting yeast in it. And as she put yeast in it, what would happen is she'd put it in a pan and it would rise magically. It was really fun as a kid. I remember that I have this image. It, yeast is the thing that works itself through the entire loaf of bread. It's a chemical. It has a reaction. It, it, it works itself through the entire loaf. Um, unleavened bread or bread without yeast is flat, right? So, so it's, it hasn't had this chemical reaction. It hasn't grown and, 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 and uh, made its way throughout the entire loaf of bread. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's using this picture and he's saying, beware, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is what? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy has a way of bleeding. It has a way of spilling into another area of your life. You can't cheat at work and not expect for it to bleed into your marriage. You can't cheat in your marriage and not expect for it to bleed into another area of your life at work. It bleeds. It makes its way through the the chambers of your heart and your mind and into the other areas of your life. He says, there is nothing concealed, notice this, that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. You know what you ought to do? You ought to write down that verse. You ought to take it and you ought to slap it up on your mirror every morning. Because what you say in secret, what you whisper in somebody's ear is going to be yelled from the rooftops. It's just the way it is. It's the way of life. It's the way of the world. It's the way God created the world. Now, I want you to see that Jesus is saying that really, at the end of the day, there is no such thing as a secret. Really, at the end of the day, there's no such thing as a a secret that you can hide from other people. It works its way out. Ultimately, I think Jesus, what he's talking about here, is looking to the final judgment. Because the final judgment, it will all come out. So if it doesn't come out here, it will come out there. It's the way he's purposed and designed the planet and the way he's designed us to work is at some point, everything will come out. Everything will be known. So you've got to live your life like there's living like there are no secrets You can't compartmentalize your life and and think that you can be successful over a long period of time. It's going to leak. Here's here's the thing. You can write this down. Everyone leaks. People leak. They leak who they are. They leak what's going on in the inner recesses. The word integrity is an important word here for us. One of the definitions of integrity is the state of being whole, undivided, completely being whole. The structure had integrity. It had structural integrity. That means it was whole. It wasn't breaking apart in any way. It was whole. It was complete. It was one. I want you to turn over to to Matthew now. If you had your finger there, turn to Matthew 6, and I want you to see what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Because he's talking about integrity here. He says in verse 1, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. 
For if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he's saying, look, don't do these acts of righteousness. Don't do things that you know are right just to be seen by other people. I want you to do it for a deeper reason. I want you to do it for a better reason. Here's what he goes on. He says, verse 2, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Notice he's describing them. He's describing this elaborate system of announcing that they're going to give something to the poor. And on the streets to be honored by men, he says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. The interesting thing about this is you can have your own reward. <laughs> you can choose which reward you want. You can choose the reward of God. You can choose his applause or you can choose the applause of men. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in, what's the word right there? Come on, say it out loud. If you're, in, if you're reading it. So that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here's essentially what he's saying. Now you're thinking to yourself, well, didn't we just read that Jesus doesn't believe they're actually secrets? No, he's coaching his disciples and he's coaching the people that will listen to live their lives in a way that they won't, do the things that they know they're supposed to do just in front of other people, though they actually discipline themselves to do the right thing when no one's looking. He gives us the secret. The secret to making sure that you're living the same life, now go with me, you're living the same life inside as you are outside. He wants to make sure that when no one's looking, you're doing the right thing. So he says it three times. He says, give to the poor in secret when no one's looking. Discipline yourself. Begin, let me shape your character when no one's watching. Engage in activities that are right, that you're honest, that you're, you, I've told you to do, not because you feel pressured from the pastor, not because you feel like you're a small group and you need to make sure you're going to the, down, down to the park and feeding homeless people because, you know, everybody knows that you're there and they'll know you're missing. He wants you to do it on your own because it builds something inside of you. It makes the inside the same as the outside. He says it three times. He says, give to the poor in secret. Pray in secret. Go in and close your door. And then he says, uh, uh, um, fast in secret. When you fast, don't um, make it obvious to men that you're fasting. Jesus knows one thing. He knows that if he has a bunch of people and he, he brings these people together as a community, that what they do on their own when no one else is looking, if they'll do it because they love him and because he's told them to do it, that they will live the same way when no one's looking versus when everybody's looking. They'll, they'll do the same. It'll look the same. Here's what I believe. I think God calls us to one reality. One reality, not two. He knows that secrets are going to be revealed, but what he's trying to do is make sure that the inner reality matches the outward reality. He wants to make sure that there's one reality that we're all experiencing together. We're all living in this reality together. We're working together. We're helping one another. We're shaping one another. We're encouraging one another. We're challenging one another. But make no mistake, it is one reality, not two, not three, not a dozen. Are you guys with me? Okay, you're awfully quiet in here thinking, I believe. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 verse 15. 
this is an important scripture for us as a church because this is a cornerstone scripture. As you're writing this down, you need to write this in your notes. This is a cornerstone scripture for one chapel because there is so much that hangs on this working right. On this, whatever, what we're going to read now is what makes this community, the body of Christ, working in a way that we can all grow and mature in him. Look at what this says. Verse 15 in chapter 4, Ephesians. It says, uh, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. For from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I want you to write in your, in your, in your notes, truth and love. Truth and love are the key to growing. Truth and love in sharing it with others is the key to their maturity. Truth and love coming into your life through another person is the key to you growing and becoming mature in Christ. We've got a lot of people, a lot of Christians, and they kind of emphasize one or the other. Some churches, they emphasize truth to the expense of love. And they, they become harsh and hard, and they pound on you, and they say, this is the way it is. I'm just going to tell you the truth. I don't care if it hurts. It's the truth, and you ought to take it. I, I could get into that. That's kind of fun. Sadly, what happens in those kind of churches, it the things become very legalistic because they're emphasizing that law and that pounding all the time. Or what happens in that church is everybody goes underground. Everybody goes under the radar and sins are never, they don't want anybody to discover their sins because it's being hit so hard. Then you got the other version, other churches or other Christians who are just, it's all about love. It's just about the love. Oh, brother, we just love you. It doesn't matter what you do. Jesus forgave our sins. Didn't you know? It's okay. It doesn't matter that you stole all that money from work. It's fine. I know you think I'm a little crazy by saying stuff like that, but that is somehow the way many of Many of our brothers and sisters, believers in Christ, treat the gospel. It's like a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's, that's not really what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a transformation of a person's life. Did you know that the Bible says that <laughs> it, it makes the case that we should, if we steal something from someone, we should repay it? Something, something really valuable and important about that, that we should work for one another, that we should share with one another. Uh, we got we to gotta get away from this, uh, this idea that it's just um, um, what, what many have called and um, what one of the church fathers called greasy grace. <laughs> okay? Now, I believe in grace. I, I do think it's a miracle that you don't have to pay the penalty for your own sins. That you don't have to die for your sins because somebody else already did. Somebody already died for your sins. But here in this passage, what we see is the merging, the putting together of truth and love. And those two things coming together to bring to us the transformation that Christ is trying to work inside of us. There's no doubt that every one of you can live a sinless life in Christ. 
There's no doubt that every one of us can receive the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and the transformation that happens in a person's life. It is a beautiful thing to discover. It's a beautiful thing to watch and watch them go from a sinner who, that was bound by all kinds of things in their history in their life to a person that's met Jesus, that has discovered real life and is being released from the shackles of their guilt and their shame and their sinful behavior. That's an incredible thing to watch. But what I want to challenge you on is we have trouble doing it by ourselves. We have trouble doing it by ourselves. We've got to be in a group of people that will speak truth and love to us. That we'll have to be in a group of people that will build an atmosphere and a community of love so that truth can be spoken in and we can receive it. That when we miss it, when we err, when we're foolish, when we are hard-headed, that we have somebody who loves us so much and they're going to tell us the truth. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of truth or the kind of love that says, now, brother, you know I love you. You know what's coming, though, right? But. <laughs> but now, right now I'm going to slap you upside the head. So I, I, I believe we have to build this environment, and here's why. Now, here's, here's why speaking truth and love and creating maturity is so important, because no one needs to suffer from their own greatest weakness. It's not God's plan for you to suffer from your greatest weakness. He wants to deliver you, and he wants to share his life and love with you, but often he shares it through another person. There's no reason that we have to suffer each of us, any of us, from our own greatest weakness because we can all benefit from the strengths of others. One person has a strength and they share it with another person's weakness. One person is weak in an area and they pull on another person's strength to get it into their lives. This is how the body of Christ is made up. This is why you're in community. Whether it's connect groups, whether it's good friends, whether it's confidants that you have, family members, that's how we're built. We were not designed to do this alone. We were not designed to do this alone. Go over to 1 John 5. Uh, sorry, 1 John 1. 1 John 1. Can you go over there with me? 1 John 1. I, I, I skipped this passage, but I'll just mention it as you're turning. Proverbs 27.6. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. There is a role for friends who will tell you the truth. Make sure that, they, that you know that they love you. Building an atmosphere of love is a difficult process, but it, once you do it, you can tell the truth easily. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Are you there? Say yes if you're there. Yes. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now, stop right here. Notice what this says. God is light. You should underline that in your Bible. God is light. He brings light Everywhere he goes. He is the light of the world, and he's now put the light of the world inside of us. Jesus became the light of the world, and then he said, we are the light of the world. Verse 6 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. So what he's saying here is don't claim to have it all together and then uh, make, it a, make it a lie, like walk, walk in, like you're supposedly in the light, but then there's a bunch of dark rooms inside. Don't act like that. We got enough in our culture of the stereotypical church member. And by the way, that's what every w w secular person sees. They see a, 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 a church member who's full of themselves, who's judgmental, who's bigoted. We need to make sure that we all understand that 
we can't lie to each other and expect the world to respect us. We're going to have to open up our hearts. The the church isn't a group of people who've got it all together. The church is a group of people who are getting it together. So he says, don't lie. You don't live by the truth if you walk in darkness. Verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light, if we let the light come in and shine everywhere, if we let the light come and show itself everywhere that... that, uh, that we live, all the rooms of our heart, all the areas of our life, if we'll walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. Everybody say fellowship. Notice the last passage of the verse, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I want you to notice this progression. I want you to notice that he says, walk in the light as he is in the light. No secrets, no darkness. If you do that, you really start bonding. You start creating fellowship with one another. You really start connecting because you're really letting people in. Some of you are afraid to let people in because you've been beat up. Can I I implore you? Can I ask you? Let some others in. Let people in on what's going on with you. If we walk in the light, then we start having fellowship and the blood of Jesus cleanses us, purifies us from our sin. The blood of Jesus. Now, listen to me real closely. The blood of Jesus is enough for any failure, any sickness, any, um, any struggle that you're dealing with, any foolish behavior, any failure. The blood of Jesus is absolutely enough for you and for me. Amen? Now, here's my problem. I see a lot of people wrestling, consumed in guilt. They can't be released somehow from the patterns of their behaviors or from the, the, the sin that they've allowed to grow in a dark part of their heart. They can't be released from it because they're trying to do it alone. The blood of Jesus is applied so much more easily, so much better in a context of a community. When you have somebody who walks with you, who knows what's going on inside you, is Jesus' hands and feet to you, is God's love to you, when you are in a community of people and you can share your sins with them and you can confess your sins with them and they say, I know you're struggling with this. Come on, you gotta shape up. I can help you. Come on, walk with me. I love you and I'm gonna walk with you. That is the love of Christ personified. Jesus died for your sins. You don't have to carry around that guilt. You can release it. It's very hard to apply the blood of Jesus by yourself for many addictive sins. Because it just rolls around in here, in your head, all the time, over and over and over. You can't tell anybody, because what would they think of you? Let me just tell you this. James 5.16, you know what it says? It says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. I don't think the Bible would tell us to confess sins if it didn't think we were going to have any. Is it possible to live a sinless life? Absolutely, because as we receive Christ and surrender to him, we really, the chains of our sinful lives uh, we are transformed in that process. There's no doubt about it. And, we, and it's so wonderful, it's so beautiful to see a believer who's been working through that process their, their, for their, 
their whole lives, and they've come to the end of their life, and they're an old person, and they don't wrestle with very much stuff. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Some people get there sooner than others. Some people aren't willing to yield. Some people won't let anybody else in. What I want to challenge you on is living in a community where we create one reality together because somebody knows what's going on inside of me. Because as soon as I begin to sneak around, as soon as I begin to do things that I don't want anybody else to know, I create two realities. One inside me and one that everybody else is aware of. We create one life and one reality by confessing our sins to each other. Confessing our sins to each other. It helps us live in a way that there are no secrets. But here's the deal. Here's what I need to coach you on. You have to confess your secrets to the right people. (laughs) You have to confess your sins to the right people. There has to be this coaching that we all take from one another that we learn how to listen to people as they're wrestling with their sin. Now, listen, let me tell you this. This is going to be a church where we're going to walk with people who are wrestling with sin. There's no way around it. It's going to be people. There's people all over this auditorium here this morning, people who are wrestling right now with sin. I want to be your cheerleader. I want to be your pastor. I want to encourage you, and I want to say you can make it. You can do it. You can embrace the work of Christ in your life. You can be rid of the sin that so easily entangles you. Fix your eyes on Jesus. But don't just fix your eyes on Jesus. Invite someone else into your life to walk the journey with you. Don't live life isolated and alone. So here's coaching on who you should confess your sins to. Are you ready? I want you to write this down because you're going to want to remember it. Number one, you got to confess your sins to a person who's older than you, typically. Typically older, generally older than you. They might be older than you spiritually, and that's okay too, I guess. But in general, there's something that happens to a person who's older than you. They have more context, more experience in life. They can help you walk through something. Typically older than you. Number two, a person who is the same gender as you. Women with women, men with men. It's an important uh, safety measure here, I think. Number three, a person who is not too interested. (laughs) This is a little funny, but people who retain their significance, who receive their significance from hearing your sins and being your confidential accountability partner, that's way too much interest. See, accountability is something that we all need, but when you start with that as the the thing that you're trying to accomplish, when you start with accountability rather than friendship, it it doesn't work. Accountability groups only work if the people love each other. Accountability only works if people... are, are, are trustworthy and trustful of the people that they're, that they're working with. If you, will, if you will build friendships of love and trust, then accountability will come. That's the thing that we've all got to get. Accountability will come once you develop a life of trust and a life of openness with another person, but not somebody who's too interested or, or gets their significance from, if they're too interested in the salacious details, they're not it. Lastly, a person who has proven trustworthiness. A person who has true, true, proven trustworthiness. It doesn't mean that you have to have known them for many, many years, although that's best. But there needs to be a track record where you've watched them and they have an obvious track record that that you've seen. If you watch them, you've watched them be trustworthy and they, they they can handle it. 
person who has proven trustworthiness. One chapel, we have to decide if it's okay to be this kind of community. Going to have to open up our hearts to one another. Going to have to allow the real work to go on. We're going to have to embrace the work of Christ among us, not just in our own minds and our own hearts individually, but as a community and share it with one another. It's the only way. We don't end up in an embarrassing situation. One reality, living together in community. We have to decide if our church is a safe place to confess and deal with sin. If somebody, if somebody is dealing with sin, as long as they're wrestling, I'll walk with them. Well, how long is long enough? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's longer than any of us care to admit. Jesus is much more patient than we are. So I think we have to walk with people a long, long way before we're willing to give up. As long as people are wrestling, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work. I'm going to walk. I'm going to help. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve. I'm going to encourage. And I want, us, I want you and me to be that way with the people we know and love. Lastly, if we confess more of our temptations, we won't have to confess as many of our sins. If you'll, if you'll create a dialogue and you'll confess your temptations more, then you won't have to confess as many sins. Because once you get out there, once, once the confession happens, you break the power of the secret. The secret no longer has mastery over you. Somebody else knows. Somebody else is connecting with you. Somebody else is speaking into your life and helping you walk through it. I know this is dangerous territory. I know this is, this is stuff that we don't talk about all the time. But I think it's so important for you to know, this is what I think about the Bible. This is what I think about confessing your sins. This is what I think about how to deal with the struggle that we all face. And in our formative first year of One Chapel, I want us to be a community where we're willing to love each other like this, to walk with each other, to speak truth and love. How about it? You want to do it? Yeah, let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for a group of people that are willing to try to live like you've encouraged us in the scripture. I'm grateful for a, a group of people that you're molding and shaping into a community where the, the world will look at us and the love that we have between us is so great the transformation is so obvious that they just want to be a part of it. Would you help us not to be judgmental? Would you help us not to be the kind of people that will be all truth and no love? Help us not to be the people who are all love and no truth. Help us to put the two together and to share in community the love of the Father, the truth of your word. This is what we want. This is what we need. Now, some of you are in this room and you have a secret and you have a, a difficult thing that you're dealing with. I want you to know that Jesus knows exactly what that is. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Most people, <laughs> they, they interpret that as being if we confess to God. The weird part is, he already knows. 
He already sees it. He already knows. What that passage is talking about is confessing to another person. And what I want to do is I want to just encourage you. I want to challenge you in this moment. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he's pulling on you. And he's saying, I want you to open up. I want you to, I want you to allow somebody to speak into your life. There's no way I can, I can force this. There's no way that I can make that happen. But what I want you to know is Jesus knows and he sees and he hears what you're going through. He knows what's happening in your life right now. And he's going to give you the grace and the favor that you need if you will just open up, if you'll just accept it to be able to engage in a community of people that will walk with you in your wrestling break the power of the secret in your life. So just make that inner commitment, that that vow today that you're going to you're going to do what the scriptures tell you to do. Father, I pray that in each person who's wrestling, each person who has a pattern, a behavior, an addiction, know it, you see it, and now you you just wrap them in your arms today. Tell them, it's okay, my son, my child, my, my daughter. It's okay. I'm here. My forgiveness, the blood of Jesus, the work of Christ on the cross, the forgiveness of sins, the washing away of shame, I'm here. It's available for you. Pray that you would do that in every one of us every one of our hearts and then we choose to commit to inviting others into our journey we will be open to being a part of another person's journey who invites us in we want to be the real deal we want to be the real church we want to see transformation as as a as a part of our culture we want to see people transforming because they're living in community with another sharing their struggles and carrying their burdens for one another. Father, I pray that you would help each one of us submit to that. Yield to that, that idea. Help us to be brave. Help us to have courage. We choose to say yes today. We say yes.